The team at Education First believes the world is better when people understand each other. Since 1965, Education First has helped millions of people explore new countries and cultures and see the world. You can join Education First by opening up your home to an international student and get paid for it as a host family. Education First has a school in Point Loma actively recruiting host families. Learn more at efhomestay.com. That's efhomestay.com. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Freeway Exit is a podcast from KPBS Public Media about the past, present, and future of San Diego's freeways. Learn the forgotten history of the San Diegans who built our freeway network and the activists who fought against them. Freeway Exit explores exciting and radical solutions for building a more sustainable and equitable San Diego. Listen and follow Freeway Exit from KPBS wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined as always by the managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. Hey, Lewis. How are you? So good. Reporter Jacob McQuinney's here as well. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing very good, and I'm not going to say anything that's going to derail this podcast. Good. Thank you. Coming up on the show this week, we've always had two questions about the Nathan Fletcher scandal. What was the nature of his relationship with a Metropolitan Transit System employee, the system that he was the chair of? Did he assault her? And, and then why was she fired? We got a flood of new information about both questions, and this is the podcast you trust to go through all of it deeply. Speaking of flood, we had an actual one. Monday was one of San Diego's rainiest days ever. Now that storm has stopped and we're assessing the damages. Mayor Todd Gloria declared a state of emergency. It's going to be a good show. Stay with us. But first, don't forget about our next live podcast. We'll be at Modern Times in Point Loma on February 8th. There'll be great food, great beer, and a great show to celebrate Voice's 19th anniversary. It will be one of our biggest shows ever. You can get your tickets now at vosd.org slash events. Again, that's vosd.org slash events. We'll see you there. Are we going to mention who might be join us there? Um, Sure. I mean, we can. We haven't talked about him much, although we mention him almost every week. We mentioned it, it, it during the last podcast. You too, did? I think. Yeah. That Andrew Keats can be there? Mm-hmm. Andy Keats. Let's go. I'm excited for the Keats. Mm-hmm. 
The last storm of this severity was in the 1930s, and there have been fewer than five storms this severe in the city's recorded history. Uh, we are turning our efforts into how the city will clean up and help residents and businesses deal with the damage that they've experienced. I want to encourage anyone who has experienced storm damage to fill out the County of San Diego survey. They'll help us to quantify the regional impacts in order to help our region qualify for relief efforts. I've been there for almost 12 years. Every year is something, the brush, the plants. I understand wildlife, wildlife, but isn't life, oh, humanity yeah. more important? January 31st, there's more water coming. It's more rain coming. If we can't handle one day, how are we going to handle four to five? We're the ones bleeding out there. Nobody's coming to help us. So, Nobody. We have the shelter here. We have stuff. And I've already said, let me do my job of doing this part. And then I want to do my more important job, which is talking to you. We literally saw over 100 rescues in the South Crest neighborhood alone, uh, rescuing hundreds of people on top of roofs, inside cars, on top of their cars. Uh, over 30 animals were also rescued during that time. Uh, and then at that same time, just in the South, while the South Crest community was experiencing that, we had over 50 active rescues going on throughout the rest of the city uh, with our lifeguards and fire. Remember when the hurricane came and we were like, this is going to be a big deal. Well, this yeah. turned out to be bigger and this was just a storm. It was weird. I'm trying to think how normally when we know it's going to rain or, you know, whatever, we see posts on social media about get your sandbags here, whatever. Um, and people are talking about the rain. But I don't know if maybe I was disconnected or that just wasn't happening. But like, it totally took me by surprise. All I knew was it was going to rain. I needed to keep the dogs inside. was going to come into the office for a couple hours. And everything just changed like in a matter of hours. It really did seem like totally undersold, right? I mean, yeah. based on what we saw happen, I mean, based on what we just heard, I, I did not receive the sort of like you know, flashing lights warning that I feel like it this probably warranted. <laughs> I mean, retrospect. I got like a, like a, I was driving to work and I got a thing on my iPhone, mm -hmm. you know, it's like flood mm -hmm. warning, whatever. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Like, okay, like I'm still going to drive to work. Yeah. It was crazy. I think that the, the whole thing was this, obviously I heard and I think others, you know, knew there was a storm coming. It was a big storm too, as we were talking about softball fields, they're not going to be open. That kind of thing mm -hmm. was clear. But I think what was odd about the storm is it just rained and it like kept raining hard. It mm -hmm. wasn't that it was like this big, you know, winds, Wind. you know, yeah. comes in and it just like all this like action. It was just rain. And it's usually that we've had that heavy of rain before, mm -hmm. but it just kept at that pace for what that good hour or whatever. And that was extraordinary because it was just deep, heavy, loud rain for that period. And that's like, that's what other places are used to in a more significant way. But obviously for us, that was huge. And with the topography of our region, some areas just got slammed and the videos came out pretty quick. And we're going to talk about Southcrest. This, our newsroom has had an interesting conversation going on about Southcrest for a couple of years. Uh, we were going to do a big uh, investigation just about this potential and how come Southcrest continually faces what it faces, which is that every time there's any kind of heavy rain, it floods. And now a big rain with the fourth wettest day in San Diego history, and it just got slammed. The wettest day in about 100 years. Yeah. I, uh, your uh, uh, Ulysses was out there, the firefighters in South Crest. It was big. And a lot of people, their cars swept away, their homes flooded, all of their possessions lost. 
uh, an emergency shelter was set up at Lincoln High School for them. This is South Crest is an area just north of National City. And again, every time it floods, a, bu- a bunch of residents sued the city in 2019 uh, because of flood-related damages. The, the problem there has been just festering for a long time, and it, it doesn't seem like anything's changed. Yeah, I mean, I was just there a couple weeks ago. I wrote about it for my cup of cheese. Some residents yeah. in Southcrest have been meeting um, every month, and not in any sort of like official city town hall or community planning group capacity, but just neighbors concerned with their neighborhood. Um, and they talked to me about all the things they have to deal with, lack of sidewalks, uh, lack of streetlights, how long it's taken them to get some streetlights in their neighborhood. And I remember this one woman um, after the meeting, she's like, can I just show you my house so you can see what I'm talking about? And I was like, sure. She walked me over and sure enough, once we got to her street, there's no more sidewalks. It's just all dirt. Um, she said her husband had put down some turf to kind of prevent their house from flooding because they were next to this sort of freeway area with lots of just like waste stuff and mm. trash. And she was like, some of that comes into my house. And instantly when I saw how hard it was raining and um, my boyfriend sent me a picture of of where he was at, where he was responding, without him telling me where he was, I knew he was in South Crest. Mm. Yeah. I, and And I think the... There's a lot going on there. Obviously, the topography is something you can't uh, uh, avoid, but the 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 kind of description you had of the neighborhood would not stand anywhere else, right? Like there was yeah. there's no no part of La Jolla that would be allowed to to stay that way. Yeah. Uh, Point Loma, that sort of place. Like you're you're just there's just a neglect that has been ongoing there and a well known one for quite some time. Yeah. There's the as we you pu- plug into it a little bit more, there was going to be a road built there that's been converted into a park. There's only a couple of of drainage areas there, and and so it feeds into this. Just it's just where water goes when it comes there, and and uh, tons of rescues, lots of damage. How long can that continue? So I think there's a lot of anger now pouring at the city for for not being ready for this. And I think there's sort of two ways to think about it. One is, well. The storm water problem is a long one for the city. It's it's something we've been talking about for many years, and it itself is broken up into two areas, like the the ongoing sort of deficit about how to uh, just make sure water gets out of the city quickly and efficiently. But the more quickly you get water out of the city after a storm, the more dirty it is, and so there's a a lot of effort now to build things, to build uh, natural landscapes and others that can filter that water as it goes out and and also protect from flooding. And so that's one side of it. And the mayor, like, look, he's part of a long system of people that have been grappling and unsuccessful so far in tackling that massive problem, right? Mm-hmm. So he can be blamed for not making as much progress maybe as people would hope. But I think the bigger question about his particular management of this situation is, were there like actual maintenance things that they could have done? As you said, like in previous uh, anticipation of major storms, there there was a very clear mobilization that occurred to like clean out Mm -hmm. culverts and drains and such to make sure that they couldn't go there. And, And, you know, as they are trying to clear out the freeways, and clear out some of these areas, just opening the drains was the key 
function that got those going. So were they not proactively maintained? That's a big question mm -hmm. that you could point to literally as part of a, a question about whether they managed it well. The ongoing stormwater problem, though, is going to be one that we're going to have to discuss in a, in a more long-term way. I mean, I think I think one of the big questions that we're going to have to to really keep on the mayor about is what now? I mean, this has been happening for decades and decades. And, and as you know, the people of, of Southcrest have, have done before back in 2019, as you mentioned, by, by filing this lawsuit. I mean, will they be able to push the city to take this more seriously? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the sheer level of like destruction. It's, to, it's shocking. It's, it's so shocking. Um, pe seeing people's homes like covered with mud inside, like yeah. all their belongings. Um, Ariana Dressler, our former multimedia journalist, she went out to Southcrest and she shot some images for the New York Times. And wow, it's just, you can see how high the water got. And it's like, what, like almost to someone's door, like top mm -hmm. of their door. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like inside homes are just covered in mud. Yeah. Yeah, so again, the, there's a couple questions. Maybe if if we're going to abandon that area, the people need to be, you know, helped to move or whatever. But we can't just abandon it and then let it keep causing so much destruction. I mean, is that an actual conversation? Are people actually proposing? No, but it, okay. we are effectively doing that. Oh, okay, right? Yeah. Like, like we're we're not <laughs> fixing the problem, so we're essentially admitting that this is something we're okay with mm -hmm. on a regular basis, especially if it's true that these kinds of storms are going to happen more frequently. Yeah, it wasn't just Southcrest. Obviously, there were there was flooding all across the, the county, and there was a bunch of funnier images of people paddleboarding and, yeah. and different. There was the one of the Tesla driving through the, the three feet of, <laughs> I of did, water. I saw one. Um, shout out to Mitchie Slick. Um, he's a rapper. And um, he's got this song and part of the lyric says like sliding down Imperial and someone used an image of a car literally like sliding down because it was flowing with so much water and they like used that part of his <laughs> lyric. Oh. It was so, you know, you go San Diegans yeah. for putting together some funny videos. I think that the darker, the most dark story though about what happened was what happened to the homeless tent, the, the big tent, not a small tent, but a the big uh, bridge shelter at Newton and 16th downtown Barry Logan area that that was, you know, that houses dozens of homeless residents and uh, it, it's meant as a place to be while you look for permanent place to live. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. We want people to be safe and, and sheltered while they find a more permanent fix to their, their situation completely flooded at the the UT story said that Bob McElroy the Alpha Project CEO who runs that facility said it was completely destroyed now whether huh. it's it's recoverable or not i think it's still up in the air yeah. people had to leave they lost medicine they lost belongings they lost lost everything now they have they were allowed to go back just to try to find stuff but the scene that the UT painted of like the darkness and they're like using their flashlights to try to find stuff and yeah. the dank like sort of feeling the whole thing like just sounds awful for people trying to get their lives together. Uh, just a, a really shocking, unexpected catastrophe mm -hmm. to occur to the city, but one that hit this sort of ongoing catastrophe we keep talking about, about homelessness in the community. Well, and it, it seemed like the safe campsites were also, was also hit very hard. I mean, and it, that's a, 
horrible thing to happen. I mean, the city is asking these people to trust them and come to this place that they, they say is safe and to have water flood through it and ruin all their belongings. It feels kind of like a betray of that trust. Yeah. And so I think we'll all be grappling with this for a while. There was some people that were still not accounted for after the, the they left the the oh, encampment, God. the safe places in in Babel Park. Yeah. Again, as far as we look at there, there's the 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 effort of the stormwater plans to either, again, make sure the water gets out and doesn't cause flooding, but then also make sure that it's as clean as possible. There is a massive what they call uh, infrastructure deficit built up, billions mm-hmm. of dollars now at the city, and this is their effort to quantify what it would take to fix all the things that make both the water dirty and not flow out of the city after storms well. And that's a, a massive number that they they, are, they can't come close to dealing with. But there have been uh, proposals floated over the last uh, couple of years to try to uh, raise tax. There was one that would look overhead at uh, plots of land and see how much area your 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 plot has how much of it is paved versus like vegetation. And then they would be able to uh, assess a parcel tax on you uh, to uh, uh, to handle the stormwater hmm. costs of what's going on there. So I think those kind of conversations will probably get more intense over the next few months. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. The team at Education First believes the world is better when people understand each other. Since 1965, Education First has helped millions of people explore new countries and cultures and see the world. You can join Education First by opening up your home to an international student and get paid for it as a host family. Education First has a school in Point Loma actively recruiting host families. Learn more at efhomestay.com. That's efhomestay.com. Freeway Exit is a podcast from KPBS Public Media about the past, present, and future of San Diego's freeways. Learn the forgotten history of the San Diegans who built our freeway network and the activists who fought against them. Freeway Exit explores exciting and radical solutions for building a more sustainable and equitable San Diego. Listen and follow Freeway Exit from KPBS wherever you get your podcasts. So last week I was out and we, uh, as an organization, got a hold of a bunch of new documents that County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher, former County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher, and his legal team had filed in the ongoing litigation about the scandal that ruined his political career and obviously made him vanish from uh, politics completely. We have always had two big questions about what happened before he vanished. And the one was, what was the nature of his relationship with Grecia Figueroa, a uh, public relations specialist at the Metropolitan Transit System? He was chair of MTS as a board of supervisors member. They appoint somebody to the MTS board. He became the chair of the MTS board, and she was an employee of that agency. She claimed that he sexually assaulted her, harassed her, and then she was fired from MTS. And all of that obviously presented a picture of something that had gone horribly wrong and uh, and bad there. Now, he's claimed 
They only had, quote, consensual encounters, and that's where we had left it. So the first question was, what did he do or not do to her, right? And then the second question is, why was she fired? Mm-hmm. Why was she fired? This, these agencies aren't known for calling, you know, underperforming individuals very often. So why was this one fired? And did it have anything to do with what was happening with him? Or was she underperforming because of what was happening to, with him, right? Well, and she she always claimed that that her firing was a direct result of kind of Fletcher's harassments and, and, right. and you know, advances. And she was fired because of what she knew, essentially, right? Right. So all of that was just part of the core mystery. And uh, MTS had an investigation it did, independent, that we pushed for that they say is now complete and that they're going to release as of this recording. They have not released that full investigation. But in that fi- in the filing that we got a hold of last week, Nathan Fletcher's legal team released all of their Instagram and email messages that they exchanged over this period. And they released a letter from MTS about why she was let go. So, we're going to go through as best we can what we learned from that about these two major questions that we've had, right? Mm-hmm. So thank you guys for doing the reporting to get that story out last week. It was a fun day. <laughs> <laughs> lots of... Lots of back It was forth. a teamwork effort. Yeah. All right. So let's go through that first question of what was the nature of their relationship. And I think it's fair to say that we learned a lot more about how interested she was in in them in this in this long-term sort of flirtatious experience that they had like she clearly was kind of into him right i mean that's what the 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 messages seem to show but then again we're not mind readers and we don't know what sort of pressures she felt related to his being chair of the mts just to be fair yeah that's fair okay but as far as responding um yes there are certainly messages that um, you know, she expressed interest in mm-hmm. hanging out with him, um, kissing his face, mentions of calling him handsome. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's certainly that in there. Yeah. So there's, remember in the initial complaint, there were sort of three incidents where she claimed she was assaulted, right? Mm-hmm. She claims that, uh, you know, he, he got her to go to his hotel where he was staying after his house was uh, sort of firebombed. <laughs> and... He's staying at this hotel. He invites her. They end up hanging out in a stairwell. And I think both sides admit that she was there late at night Mm -hmm. in the stairwell for a couple hours, right? Mm -hmm. In the initial complaint, she claims that, or that she claims that this is where an an assault of sorts happened. And uh, and it's left there as a as a awkward sort of encounter, at least, right? Yeah, that he kissed her. And she said she just wanted to remain friends. Yes. Uh-huh. Now, the uh, messages that have now been released do indicate that she was more proactive maybe than we thought in in setting up that meeting. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, whether you know she was being honest or not, she did express that she was she had a good time. Yeah. Yes. That's all fair? Yes. Mm-hmm. Fletcher's legal response has now said they they've each flirted with each other 
They each expressed attraction to each other. They each acknowledged feeling impulsive. They assured each other they were both comfortable. They each expressed excitement and enjoyment after they left each other's presence. There is nothing in these communications that even remotely suggests Mr. Fletcher's conduct was unwelcome. Miss Figueroa's affirmative statements that she missed his lips, struggled not to think about it, kissing his face, and specifically invited him to initiate texting and to find a day or time for them to meet, suggest she was not only a willing part- partner or participant, but she was initiated these contacts. So that's their case, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in response, her team has said what? Um, in response, her team has said that it's clear that both Fletcher and his team don't understand uh, consent. And this is one of the quotes from their statement. Uh, quote, on many occasions, survivor may try to pacify their perpetrator while they themselves are trapped in a fight and flight mode, struggling to speak up, causing them extreme psychological distress. Uh, Mr. Fletcher and his defense team make no attempt to uncover the whole truth, choosing instead to shame Ms. Figueroa and attempt to prematurely dismiss her claims. Right. That you can withdraw consent at any time and no matter what you say afterwards, it doesn't change what might have happened in that moment, right? Yeah, and I think they're also making the case in this quote that she was trying to pacify him or sort of respond to his advances. Yeah, yeah she was feeling like this pressure, the power dynamics in a workplace, that sort of thing. But it's clear that they still maintain that all of these interactions were non-consensual, yeah. at least in their legal arguments. Well, without, I mean, even, you know, without thinking about like, where whose state of mind and what that was like and whether you're responding because you feel obligated or you're responding because you're into it right with taking that out of the picture when you look at the messages i think you get a good idea of how everything progressed and sort of um the type of contact that they had and it started off very light as you would with anybody that you're trying to get to know Mm -hmm. um you start talking about like movies you should watch and things you recommend and how is your day going and increasingly that contact um just gets more personal and um i think that's what you see in the messages so again we don't know what her state of mind was what his state of mind was what they were thinking at that time but just looking at the messages i think it does show um you know, a, a level of friendship and relationship mm-hmm. in those messages and yeah. interest in wanting to know how the other person is doing and, you know, wanting to stay in contact with that person. And not just friendship, there was a sexualized tone yes. to there a lot of There was definitely this sort of tension. That, and, on, you know, and, and reflected in, in both sides of the exchange. So there are two other encounters that she claimed in her initial complaint were um, violent and unwelcome. And those both occurred at her place of work at MTS where mm-hmm. he was chair and there was sort of these rooms where they could go uh, after meetings. And according to the, the new documents that came out and the messages, she was more part of setting up those encounters than, than had previously been sort of revealed. I think that when I initially saw all of these uh, messages, the initial complaint and the messages she produced – one of the striking characteristics of it was how one-sided it looked that it was just him like pinging her a lot. And I think this does present like, oh, there was a whole other side of this going on, including to set up these particular encounters and including to make sure that they were alone for them, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not up for debate that that the text messages that that Figueroa's attorneys presented were just a very, very small and and selected like kind of microcosm of this larger universe of their conversations, right? And and when you see the whole thing laid out, it does 
paint a different picture for sure. And so that that was uh, that's now been uh, revealed. Now again, she can, and as they will say, she can withdraw consent at any time. And she she could have been in a, a completely different state of like uh, coercion. Now, so this brings it to the question of why was she fired? So we know all this stuff occurred. We know that these these moments occurred. These either consensual encounters, according to him, or assaults, according to her. But then she's uh, abruptly fired in February, a couple months after their last sort of encounter right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and on the day that nathan fletcher declared his his candidacy for state senate yeah so yeah just a strange strange she's coincidence fired. she's not she, she has said that she was not given a reason for why she was fired mm-hmm. yeah um she was just fired told to take her stuff according to her complaint so mts when this scandal first erupted they had a little trouble sort of identifying when they were first aware Mm-hmm. That uh, that she had these claims and that this relationship had occurred, and then they said, like, sort of immediately released a statement that she had been fired for her performance, mm-hmm. and we were like, "What? What? What happened? Like, why was she fired?" It does seem pretty unlucky for both sides that that this would occur on that day. Mm-hmm. So, in the case of of Fletcher, like. It seems like the last thing that he would want was for them to fire her at that moment, right? Like that would that would be a really uncomfortable thing and it would cause this sort of problem for him. Mm-hmm. It seems like the opposite, that like he would want to keep her happy or something, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, so then um he is consistently and is and part of this whole release that they put out has been to prove that he had no role in firing her, right? Mm-hmm. And I think like that sort of is, is unnecessary to me. I don't think anybody suspects that he actually like pulled the trigger to fire her, although that's what she's implied in her complaint, right? Yeah. I think one thing is interesting too from those last interactions that they had. Um, I believe the last interaction where she claimed she was assaulted, which was the most, um, I think, disturbing allegation right. was mm-hmm. from December 1st. Now, they continued to message after that. It wasn't very consistent as it was in months prior. Um, but there is no sort of like indication of like, all right, let's stop talking. Like, we're not going to talk anymore. And, you know, or I hate you or something. It, as you would see in like a bad, aff- an affair gone wrong or something, yeah. right? Like we broke off here and now she's upset. Like, right. you don't see that. It just sort of is like, they stop talking. Yeah. There was one particularly awkward exchange that had been featured in the initial complaint that she filed, which was this, his birthday, it's on New Year's Eve, and and all it showed was him saying like, hey, me, are more, but he obviously meant more. Um, Lots of typos by, by yeah. former Supervisor Fletcher. Yeah, so he that stand stood out to a lot of people as like a really clumsy thing. What the messages revealed was that she had actually wished him a happy birthday, and that's what he was responding to. So that's after this last encounter that you described. So she's fired, and um, the the again the question we've always had is, well, well, why? And so included in this release is a letter that MTS sent her. Correct? Yes. And the letter uh, outlines why she was fired. And basically, they say over these months, we've been talking to you about your performance, you're missing deadlines, you're you're 
stuff you're turning in has a bunch of errors, few things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And they outlined specific assignments um, and events for things that she was supposed to do that maybe she didn't do uh, to their standards. And as a result, her manager had to kind of like pick up the slack. Yeah. So I think there's sort of two things to think about this. On the one hand, it's like, okay, that's interesting. Maybe that does constitute some sort of performance lagging to the point where you need to uh, discipline or even fire or put somebody on a performance plan to improve and then fire them. But there's a couple of things that come to mind. Like one, again, this sort of long stand, I, I'm just not accustomed to public agencies of this sort, sort of you know, being so intent on performance mm-hmm. of their of their people, there's often a lot of people not performing at a high level that that aren't pushed out like that. But put that aside, the other thing that you have to wonder is like, well, if she's having this really stressful, and I think that one of the biggest parts of any kind of like affair, even if it's consensual, would be like just how stressful it is, especially if it's at a workplace. Mm -hmm. And I think, would that not have contributed to any kind of performance problems? And is that not still a problem? And I think that brings up the other question of like, maybe they did have a consensual experience. Maybe they did have a flirtatious experience, but that's still a really bad thing for a head of an organization to have with a lower level, much lower level employee, regardless of whether he has the actual power or responsibility to to evaluate her and fire her, correct? Yeah. I mean, re- regardless of, you know, the intricacies of consent, I think it's unquestionable that this was a very shitty thing for the chair of MTS to do. And a married man and yada, 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 a, pu- a public official, an elected official. I mean, I don't think there are any questions about, you know, whether or not this was like, a cool and chill thing to do, even if, even if, you know. Well, there are, their, their whole complaint and, and Fletcher's whole team is making the case that, no, this was just a, a peccadillo hmm. of a man and trapped, you know, in this, in this exchange with this woman. And obviously like she's coming onto him so hard, like who could blame him or whatever kind of thing. That's the image they're putting forward. Huh. And I think like, I think like you, this is dicey just as a, as a concept, regardless of the, consensual nature of the experiences and if those are in question it's even worse yeah absolutely yeah and i think like the message they're also trying to portray his team is that she pursued him Mm -hmm. she was the one who was pursuing him was asking him about movies and i think when you look at the messages it goes both ways oh yeah yeah Um, for sure i mean just looking just look at the messages like like he's (laughs) he's he's constantly begging her to, to say dirty things to him, mm-hmm. to come and meet, to figure out. She'd be like, oh, I don't know if I should say this. And he'd be like, yeah, say it, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. You can almost like feel the drool. Like, there, you is, know, so. there is one moment that I found interesting where, you know, I think in their argument, Fletcher's team is saying, uh, Grecia Figueroa put out a message that was incomplete. And I think we can all agree that, yes, her complaint, was definitely one-sided and now we've got a better picture of what happened and how it happened. Um, but it's interesting because they have this one um, section in their in their filing that um, she was the one who initially started a chat with him. And <laughs> yeah. they've got like a little screenshot uh-huh. of a chat that was created. Now, if you look at the chat, um, it just says that she mentioned him in her story on August 24th, 2021. Wait, let's be clear. Story on Instagram. On Instagram. Describe that real quick. A a story on Instagram. So it's 
uh, a post that you make on Instagram. It only lasts for 24 hours. Um, if you tag another Instagram user in a photo on your story, it automatically creates a chat with Instagram. Mm -hmm. So that's basically what happened. She took a picture, don't know what it was. She took a picture on that day, August 24th, 2021, and she tagged Nathan Fletcher in that photo. And so it created a chat. And so that was what initiated their exchanges. And I've always found that to be awkward because if you, I get a message like so-and-so has mm -hmm. messaged you, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And you look at it and it's just them like tagging you in some photo. And and you say, you, you don't even know, am I supposed to respond to that? Yeah. Is that like a, a thing? Now he did and that's what started this whole now, thing. He doesn't respond immediately. Mm -hmm. that, but I think one thing that you have to put into perspective was August 24th was not like a random date that she chose to tag him in a photo and because maybe she was trying to get his attention. Maybe, I don't know. But August 24th was a day that MTS had this big like press conference, ribbon cutting thing. They had For like Pronto, an right? inaugural ride. Yeah, I was at that. Um, like elected you officials were, were there. Yeah, Apparently Jacob McWinney was that there. That was my first, uh, <laughs> I think that was the first story I ever covered for City College. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so yeah, lots of people were there. And um, I, you know, that's what happened on that date. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's a far jump to, um, you know, say that maybe her being a public relations professional for this agency might have posted a picture related to that event. I mean, that seems like that is what a competent public relations specialist would do. They would post a picture of of all of the people at their ribbon cutting <laughs> I mean, and tag them. And you know? journalists, like I, yeah. you know, any time I went to a press conference or whatever, or I did a story on somebody, like I would tag them on Instagram. And mm -hmm. in fact, I have like I tagged Nathan Fletcher in like a press conference and it created a chat with him. Have you checked that chat? <laughs> I did. <laughs> so I think that's the that's what's one of the interesting parts of this whole situation is that we are all in a weird way finding our way through this new dynamic where we have personal lives and personal social media accounts and yet we're using them for professional discussion and it's like a... It's not clear where personal stops and where professional begins. Yeah, and that letter was sent after she was fired, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like February 17th, right? Something. Yeah. So that's, well after, yeah. that's odd yeah. a little bit. Like, I'd like to see the communications before to her. And I think that brings up the, the last point. So, okay, so we have the question of, A, what happened between them and I think we have a lot more information, but yes. again, I'm not ready to make a determination. Obviously, I can't litigate what happened to them when only those two people know exactly what they did, right? Mm. But I, I think, feel like a judge's robe would suit you. But we can we can we can say it still was a a, a bad power dynamic mm. in a in an agency where you know somebody shouldn't be doing that, right? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't it shouldn't it shouldn't be happening to an employee Absolutely. regardless of of how into it she may be, right? Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Okay, then the second question is why was she fired? And so we have this letter that as you pointed out cites exhaustively all these things that she did wrong and why she deserved to be fired. Um as uh, uh Fletcher's team said they conclusively demonstrate that Fletcher never exerted any influence over her employment. I mean, how can you even say that? They're clearly like interacting as part of her employ employment, regardless of, of their, their encounters. Nor did he play any part in her termination. Okay, maybe. 
Indeed, she was terminated by MTS as a result of her poor, inconsistent performance. Okay, on that question, MTS now promises that they will release their full investigation unredacted with all the personal and and confidential information revealed in it. They promised, they sent an email at 2 a.m. on Saturday morning saying that they were going to do this Hmm. and uh, that it would happen this week, the week of the 22nd. Now we're at the 24th. It hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. I'm I think this was a uh, sign of their confidence, like they're trying to portray that they have nothing to hide, they're ready to show that they are proud of whatever they did, because otherwise they wouldn't do this. But they haven't yet, and I can't make a determination of it. I'd be very interested in how she was counseled before uh, this firing occurred and what the timeline was Mm -hmm. of the severance that was offered after she was fired as well, which she refused and turned into the claim uh, against MTS. So we also saw her team release another series of messages. Now mm. this time they're between uh, Grecia and a friend of hers uh, who's not identified. Um, and again, it's just similar to her complaint. They're just like snippets of conversations. Um, but in those conversations, you get a look at like, her sort of mindset at certain points when she's messaging with this friend. Um, You know, there's a part where she mentions that press conference that you had written about for your politics report, um, which is a press conference when um, I think MTS was donating some trolleys to Argentina. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, Nathan Fletcher kind of like leans back from his seat and sort of smiles her. And there's a video of that on YouTube. And she felt like that was itself a, an act of bullying in yeah. a way like a, and you like made the power point. Yeah. like a dominance Over her. like dominance. an assertion of dominance and that was something I couldn't quite grasp and you made the point like oh I understand that yeah. perfectly yeah mm-hmm. and so that day she messaged her friend and she said this is according to what her lawyers shared uh, Grecia said oh my god oh my god there's an event I'm planning for next week and it will involve me up on stage live translating for the transportation secretary of Mendoza Argentina and Nathan has been requested to be there oh my god I really really hope he can't make it and she says fuck fuck I really hope he can't make it just another day in my f-ing life and then her friend says whoa why don't you want him to go and there's another moment where she like says a comment to her friend like wow your your life your love life is like a rom-com and meanwhile i'm getting hit on by my boss's boss mm-hmm. well nothing has changed san diego politics as quickly and almost violently as this episode has again nathan fletcher went from the most prominent and an influential politician in san diego to gone just completely vanished. He still has not made any public appearance of any kind, any interview, any press conference, even a photo shoot. So back to the two big questions. More information for sure. We know a lot more about what happened and it it does seem to shed light on both those questions. I'm not ready to make a determination on either of them either way. We will see what MTS releases with its report about uh, what happened and why they did fire her and the timeline that they release, I think will be very important to follow and we'll break it down uh, when we get a hold of that. You can see the recent reports and all the correspondence for yourself at VOSD.org slash Andrea. That's VOSD.org slash A-N-D-R-E-A. 
Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast that is having a live version of our recording February 8th. Get your tickets now at vosd.org slash events. That's vosd.org slash events. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafania is Managing Editor. Jacob McQuinney is our Education Reporter. Nate Johns, our Producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 